0: Should we uh, you want to start with a prayer? Yeah, let's start That's with good. a prayer. All right. In the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. Come, Holy Spirit, for heart our hearts of your faithful and, and kingdom, them the fire of your love, send, send forth your spirit, spirit and they, they shall be created, and, and you, you shall renew, renew the face of the earth. Hail Mary, full Lord, of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God. pray for us sinners, sinners now, at the hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Vincent de Paul, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Well, thank you, Father, for that prayer. My pleasure. Um, so, as you probably all know, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the director of operations here at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Salisbury. I'm joined by Father John Eckert, the pastor here at Sacred Heart Catholic Church. Um, We had scheduled a Q&A a a couple weeks ago, but with Hurricane Flow, as many people are calling it, coming through, we decided to cancel the question and answer time. And so we've decided instead of having a live question and answer time to answer the questions that were submitted via um, a video slash audio um, that we will then get out online so people can watch. So um, at least we can ones.
0: answer a few of those questions, and then I believe we have another one scheduled for, is it November the night?
1: Yeah, sometime early November. We're still working on the exact day, but keep an eye on the bulletin or on Facebook and websites, e-news, all the media outlets to see when that next one will be coming. So, are you ready to dive into
0: the questions? I think so. Actually, I thought before we dive right into the questions, just to give like a brief background of where this whole Q&A night even came from, We had a parish council meeting a month ago, and we're just kind of talking about just some different ideas of how to address certain topics that um, I can't really talk about so much in a homily. Um, You know, for example, uh, certain things having to do with the church's sexual teaching or teaching on sexual morality. Uh, Basically, I like to point to certain things, allude to certain things, um, and give some direct, uh, you know, attention to certain things. However, um, you know, you can't do a whole lot in that 8 to 12 minutes of the homily. And we're talking about age ranges from birth to, you know, old age. And so it's a little bit tough to try to, you know, really come to certain things, especially doing like scriptural exegesis. And and, and so just there's a lot to try to pack into a homily from week to week. But we thought that to have a and a night would be a good opportunity for people to ask whatever questions they have about church teaching and, uh, the state of the church today. This also kind of came out of a certain conversation we were having about just uh, what many have dubbed the summer of shame in the Catholic Church and how we could potentially uh, address some of that. So that's where the QA idea came from for us here right at Sacred Heart. Um, and unfortunately, just with the timing of Hurricane Florence, and also that week my grandfather passed away. So I was actually. Back in Illinois on September the 14th, when it was originally scheduled for his funeral on the 15th. So I'm glad that we could do this now, but that's basically the history of this, and so I'm looking forward to actually having a live one in the not too distant future.
1: Of course. And if we are amateurs with this whole video recording thing, so if we are not looking into the camera as much as we should, or the audio isn't where it should be, please forgive us, but we will get better. We might someday be. Bishop Robert Barron, but we are not in <laughs> And Brandon yet. Vote,
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll try. They're wonderful, so we'll do our best.
1: So, we're going to dive right into it. And as you mentioned the Summer of Shame, um, our first question actually reflects greatly on that. Um, the question that we received is, what do you hope the Vatican will do in response to Vigano's letter? And what do you think will actually happen as a response to that letter?
0: Well, um... You know, I put out a letter to the parish, uh, I think, a week after uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's letter went public, um, just kind of saying that, you know, from my limited experience, and let's just to lay it out there. I am eight years ordained. I was ordained in 2010 for the Diocese of Charlotte. I'm in my third assignment. I've been pastor here at Sacred Heart since 2014. I love this parish. It's wonderful. Um, as far as... Climbing the massive rungs of the ladder of church hierarchy, I'm not high up, uh, you know Into the upper echelons of knowing all these things. All I can give you is my opinion Um, But I think, you know, especially some of the uh, You know, uh, perennial teachings of the church in particular, I think the truth will set you free Is the most important thing of all and when you have Certain, you know, something like this from someone who is well-respected served for a very long time, gave his life, isn't like necessarily like asking for this or that. I mean it's certainly obviously um you know a kind of call for the truth to be out completely. That would be my ultimate hope is that, you know, just uh, let's find out the truth of everything that happened. In fact it's kind of funny as we're talking here on the wall, just to the right of the camera. I'm sure that's like violating the of video because you can't see what I'm talking about but on the wall is a picture would you of, like me to get it down yeah college, go and so get it jump. down Michael's going to hold the picture yeah right? exactly I went to a seminary called the Pontifical College Josephinum and one of the big perks of the Josephinum is every year the deacon class so the graduating class got to travel to Washington D.C. and have a meal and a mass with the Apostolic Nuncio. At my time at the Josephinum, that Nuncio, man right here in the middle, was Archbishop Pietro Sambi. And he's actually referenced in the Archbishop Vigano letter. He's the one that the letter claims confronted uh, former Cardinal Archbishop McCarrick about the sanctions that Pope Benedict had apparently placed on him. And the meeting between him and uh, Archbishop McCarrick apparently was so loud, it went on for an hour that it could be heard out in the hallways. I was very impressed with Archbishop Sambi, and I was kinda happy that he came across very good in Archb- Archbishop Vigano's letter. Archbishop Vigano followed Archbishop Sambi, and I think some of our other guys who were at the Josephinum would have met him when they went to D.C. as well. But it was a wonderful trip, but um, I, just, I would say that in the midst of that letter, some of the people I really look up to um, were not put down. Um, I'll tell you one of my favorite writers currently, who you can always trust to have very clear and uh, well put writing, Archbishop Chaput from Philadelphia, is kind of referenced a little bit in that letter, but in a good way, frankly, I think. Um, and so I, I guess my big hope is that all of those things will be that ultimately, you know, the truth comes out because the truth will set you free. I mean, why are, why is anything being hidden? It needs to come out. So, Michael, thanks for getting
1: that up. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, definitely finding that truth. And as far as I know, to date, um, when we were doing this recording on the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul, so Feast of the 27th, of Vincent de Paul, there hasn't been a whole lot revealed. There's been a lot of talk about different things, there's been a lot of movement. But not a lot of research that has been done. I know um, Cardinal DiNardo, who is the head of the USCCB, went to visit the Pope, and they had a good meeting that
0: they said it was... They said it was long and fruitful. Wrong,
1: long and fruitful, so twist. we will see what the fruit they claimed was there will be, but um, time will tell in some ways.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, the biggest thing is just you know that continued commitment to transparency and I think one of the biggest things is, is that, you know, we have to do what we can on our own level. I mean, obviously, to pray for and hold accountable the leaders in the church. I mean, that's crucial, and we have to keep praying for that and that the truth will come out because we know that it will eventually come out anyway. That's what the truth does. It comes out. Um, but, you know, hopefully the sooner the better. Um, and, yeah, we just keep praying for that.
1: Definitely. Now, our next question goes along with this first one. Um, This one more specifically focuses on Pope Francis and his response to all this. Um, So the question states, I keep hearing how Pope Francis is corrupt and is covering up the priest scandals. How do we trust our shepherd and respect the office of the papacy given this?
0: Um, Obviously, it's it's a hard question. I, I... I mean, I'll be honest. I was disappointed with his response on the flight back from Ireland after Archbishop Vigano's letter came out. That you know he wouldn't say one word. That he's remaining silent. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, we need to continue to pray for uh, the one who holds that role as you know the successor of Peter. Um, I, I can't imagine the difficulties of that job. We have a big parish here at Sacred Heart, and I stay busy, you know, and, and I, I'm sure, you know, on, on his end, he is. I think <laughs> we have to do our best to try to give, you know, the benefit of the doubt as far as possible. I'm never saying, like, condoning wrongdoing. Um, we don't know all of the facts as of yet. And to pray for the man who holds that office until we're given, you know, strong, conclusive. Well, I mean, continue to pray for him regardless. But until we're given... Know, strong, conclusive evidence for the reverse. Um, I would say, you know, we got to keep praying for him and pray for, you know, and and frankly, I pray that he changes his mind and doesn't keep silent and just puts all this stuff out there. Um, I don't know why he's not doing that, and I'm not in a position to say, you know, this is what he's doing wrong and this. And I, he's our Holy Father. We continue to pray for him daily, specifically in the context of the mass every day when we, when we you know, say those prayers. Um, but once again, I just think to, you know, strive to ask for the truth to come out and for, you know, for Archbishop Vigano's questions or everything he puts forward for that to be answered. And the Pope challenged journalists to do their jobs. I hope they continue to. One of my favorite that I I read often is Phil Waller from uh, Catholic culture, org the Catholic it's Catholic World News, mm-hmm. his assessments are always very good. And he's been studying and writing about the church abuse scandal since way even before 2002. And I found him to be very fair, very faithful. I highly recommend reading what he has to say. Um, but as far as, I mean, yeah, I, sometimes it's difficult because we can be disappointed in leaders. You know, we can be disappointed in the people that we hoped we wouldn't have to be disappointed in. But I guess if you look back to the very beginning, the apostles have not always had a perfect record. And um, is that some sort of justification for wrongdoing? Absolutely not. Um, Do we need to hold hold them accountable? Yes, but to expect them to already be perfect, it just isn't realistic. And so um, we keep praying and we keep uh, asking God to give him the guidance Um, keep his eyes fixed on christ you know so he can walk on water and you know move through this difficult situation
1: yeah and christ you know tells us to um love our enemies and if the pope is sort of not in a great position at the moment some people aren't happy with them but even if our enemy becomes our is our holy father that does not mean we should pray for him less or um think any less of him at this point obviously nothing has been proven one way or the other but whether we are big fans of Pope Francis or not, Christ asks us to pray for our family, pray for and pray for our enemies. So, yeah. That's definitely, it. That's fair. yeah. Um, the last question that goes along with this topic um, states: Will we be having a Holy Hour of Reparation as a parish? I know um, Saint Mark's had a Holy Hour of Reparation fairly quickly after Vigano's letter came out. Um, there was actually a very interesting article about the bishop in Raleigh. Um, and his homily being in the front of the altar and being on his knees throughout his entire homily asking for forgiveness for his uh, brother bishops, which was very powerful and moving. If you can find an article on that, that was very great to read. But obviously, we're not necessarily asking you to do that, Father. But do you think in the near future we might have a holy hour of reparation as a parish?
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, and if, if, if folks would like that, I would be more than willing to have a holy hour of reparation. One of the other things... And it was, I think, providentially timed. It was as soon as all this happened, we began having all-night adoration every Wednesday night, um, and so you know we have that uh, like worked into our normal weekly schedule. Uh, also, it came right about the time of our diocesan Eucharistic Congress, in which we had a beautiful uh, holy hour and then a Rosary of Reparation led by Bishop Julius with a good majority of the priests of the diocese. I I don't know how many faithful were there, but it was like 10 or 15,000. I don't know. It was a lot of people and it was beautiful. And I'm so grateful we got to participate in that, but I will say this. I mean, if, if folks would like that and we could do something beyond the normal schedule that we have here, I'm, I would be totally open to that. Um, I guess part of why it, like it wasn't one of the first things that just sort of like jumped to my mind is because we already have so much already on the schedule in regard to mass adoration, um, even communal rosaries, but I'm always open to adding more or doing something special. Um, and if there is uh, a call for it right here at Sacred Heart, I'm happy to do that. But I will say, just as kind of a challenge too, to especially anybody who feels called um, to make a holy hour of reparation, I highly recommend. And I, and I think I said this in my letter about mm-hmm. a month ago. Uh, you know, use this time as the encouragement to start going to weekly holy hour i've heard the criticism before and this is it's kind of tangential but i'll relate it back in i promise um but the criticism about the people who go to the march for life and then do nothing else pro-life wise the rest of the year it's like oh it's a fun trip to dc and then there's nothing else now granted a holy hour of reparation would be different than a trip to the march for life however i would challenge folks to say by saying that yes we can do a holy hour reparation But can I also encourage you to start making one on your own weekly, you know, coming on Wednesday, making this part of your intention, praying for our Holy Father, praying for the church, praying for Sacred Heart. Um, You know, I I just pray that us, you know, right here in the midst of things, on our beautiful campus, in our beautiful church, uh, you know, with our school, with our faith formation program, to keep praying for all of that, that in the midst of a dark and fallen world, we might be a beacon of light and holiness. And so to kind of, rather than just calling for like a one-time event, which would not be a bad thing and I'm open to, but making this part of the weekly routine and and praying for these folks, I think that would be good.
1: Yeah, and if anyone is interested in signing up for an hour of our all-night adoration, we're always looking for more people that we know will be there to make sure our Lord is always Um, having somebody stay with him in the church. So um, if you would like to pick up Father's Call and make that weekly holy hour, please let us know so we can get you on our books and know that you're going to be here um, and sign up for
0: an hour. Absolutely. And one other thing I would add, we still are going to have the all-night adoration on First Fridays as well. So that's not going anywhere. It's just now we have a weekly all-night adoration beginning after the 515 Mass on Wednesday, and then benediction is before the 830 Mass on Thursday morning. Definitely. Thanks, Father. No problem.
1: All right, so we're going to shift our focus a little bit. Um, Obviously, with these past three questions, we're talking a lot about the transparency of the church as a whole, um, the Catholic church. Um, Some people actually had a couple questions about us and how we um, run our church as well. So uh, one of our faithful asked, if some members of the church question the decisions that Father has taken,
0: what do you do about it? Well, I would say, let me know, and uh, you know if, and especially, I guess, in what particular way, you know, to know some specifics is always good, as opposed to just a blanket. Well, I don't like the direction. Well, in what way? Um, you know, Bishop Jurgis entrusted me to be the pastor. It's a role uh, I had, you know, I take on gladly. I appreciate it, uh, but I know, like any human being, I have blind spots. Uh, we have a very good staff here in the office, our wonderful Director of Operations, Michael Becker. Uh, we have a new wonderful Faith Formation Director in Kathleen Dilloner. We have uh, Sharon Burgess, my, my secretary. Uh, Mimi Medrano at the front desk. We have Jim Brinsfield, who's fantastic on our maintenance, um, as well as Miguel Villalobos, who's kind of school and church maintenance. Um, as well as Ms. Flora Lester, our music director, Ugo Grace, our IT person. I think I got everybody. Um, and then we could go through the litany of all those who work in the school. Exactly. Too. There's a lot of people on staff. And so, you know, just to kind of uh, listen to all of them people that are on the ground doing the work, all of these good things. And then, of course, we have a parish council uh, led by Mary Blanton, our parish council chairman. We've got uh, a finance council, we have a school board. There's a lot of different bodies that kind of help with advising and moving through. Because, for example, with the Finance 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 Council, I need help in a big way because I have next to no financial training. The financial training we got in seminary was one afternoon seminar in which our uh, seminary business manager gave us a rundown on the capital campaign in his parish. That's all we got. Other than that, it was six years of studying philosophy and theology, which is appropriate because every day I give a homily. I don't like have to go through spreadsheets every day. I trust people who are accountants and you know bankers and CPAs to do those sorts of things and to advise me on what the best thing is to do. And they're good at it, and I appreciate them. And I rely on my staff, and and frankly, I rely on the comments. I mean, there are you know there have been many times over the years that someone has said you know what about this, what about this? And now there are sometimes I have to say, no, we decided to go this direction or this direction for various reasons. But I do listen, and I hope uh, folks think that I'm approachable. And if you need to write something down in a letter format and send it in, I will say this though, please attach your name. Um, the anonymous, because usually. We see this on the internet. When things are just anonymous, they tend to just get really hyper critical and frankly kind of cruel sometimes. I mean, you see it online and I would just say, you know, as the pastor, I'm doing my best, you know, and, and, and giving it my all and striving to make sacrifices and um, do the best that I can. As I said, do I have blind spots? Absolutely. In fact, every week now, um, Michael Becker and I meet to go over the homily from the week prior. He lets me know what he thought of it. Sometimes it's not always positive, like this past weekend. Um, sometimes it is. It's fine. And we start to discuss what's coming up for the next one. Um, it's an important thing. I need to know. And, you know, and I may agree with you. I may not. But it's okay. And don't feel like you can't say anything. Um, I think the the broad general, I don't like the direction of the parish. That may be a little bit more tough to kind of, you know, uh, directly, you know, I, I guess, um, answer. Um, But if you can give me some specifics, either call me or talk to anybody on the parish council. Talk to Michael Becker, our director of operations. Always willing to listen and talk. And I can give you reasons why I'm doing something. I'd be happy to listen to other ways that you think are are good ways to go. And um, yeah, I'm always happy to have a conversation.
1: Yeah. And nobody here at the parish staff or really in the parish in general is perfect. And if you think something needs to be improved, come and talk to us. Or we're always looking for more volunteers because... We always are needing more volunteers, and many hands make light work, and many hands usually make better work. Yeah. So if you are interested in joining us and helping us with something here at the parish to improve on something, you see a need and you want to step up and help us with that, my door is always open to talk about new volunteers and new ideas of how we can help and grow the parish. So definitely just be open with us. Talk to us, because that's what we're looking for. Absolutely. So our next question actually came to us via mail. Um, thank you very much to whoever took the time to mail this to us, um, from anonymous and I'll read it actually off of their sheet of paper. Um, do the sacred heart priests try to get to know all their parishioners?
0: And I would say, yes, uh, I do try to get to know all the parishioners. Um, but did that one have a name? There that a one name? was from anonymous. Okay. So an anonymous, and that's the thing. I mean, I will say uh, every day after daily mass, although I guess not after Wednesday night, Wednesday night mass now because we go right into adoration, so I need to go and pray with the kids right away. But I try after every mass to stand outside and say hello to everyone. Um, I'm in the confessional right after that, after every daily mass, um, except for Saturday morning since we have confessions on Saturday evening. To be there, to, you know, uh, just be available for confession, to say hi to, to talk to you briefly, to point you in the right direction if you do have a question or an issue. Usually that's to point you to either Michael or Sharon, who can kind of help at least get you some answers or get you an appointment. Um, I do try in that regard. Um, There is just one of me, and uh, (laughs) I, I do like... Um, Spending time with people, especially at our big parish events. I don't get to go to as many homes as I'd like to just because, frankly, I'm one person and we have a lot going on here uh, even during the evening. So it's kind of rare. And like any human being, I mean, there's some people in the midst of this parish that I probably just personally like kind of gravitate more towards and probably spend a little bit more time with. Or because we work together, I spend a little more time with Michael and with his family. Or some of the teachers in the school, or our principal Tyler Culp, or you know just certain people that just de facto because they're here more, or because, or let's say like uh, J.R. Dunkley, who's uh, our building and grounds, uh, what do we call it? the building and grounds commission commission head, chair. and he's on our parish council. I feel like I spend a lot of time with him, or you know just just different folks that just by the nature of them being here, I end up spending a lot of time with them. But I would say. If you're wanting to get to know me, don't just send an anonymous letter. Let me know if you feel neglected or something like that. If that was what was kind of implied by the anonymous note, I hope not. And I can sincerely say I'm trying. Like I never want to give the impression that I'm like staying away from somebody. Um, I do wish I had more time to go and see different folks. But um, just the reality is with our... I mean, okay, we have twelve hundred families on the books. I think we mm-hmm. probably have between six and eight hundred active families, would be my guess. Um, and I'm one person. Um, I this. I'll put it this way: I really feel bad for people like Bishop Jugas, for example, where he has to go to many different parishes, you know, for confirmations and many different events. And he doesn't get to have like the personal relationship with so many people in a parish like he did when he was a parish priest. That would be so difficult. I'm grateful that after every Sunday Mass, which I almost feel like, you know, it's like our weekly family reunion. I get to see people every week. And one of the big benefits to me being by myself is I'm here mostly for every Sunday Mass. Sometimes I have coverage. Father McNulty is going to be here this coming Saturday because I'm going to be at a conference at Bishop McGinnis. But by and large, I get to be at all four masses. So I get to see essentially everybody, everybody who's coming out, everybody who's here. Um, We have a team of people who go out to see our sick and our our shut-ins, our homebound. I wish I could go to see them more. Um, And I I probably need to make that more of a priority, to be honest. Um, I wish they were here more, but that's just not the reality. There's some people, we just had our... Uh, funeral on Monday for Mercedes Rogers. I loved getting to go and see her and take her communion. I wish that the handful of times I've gotten to see her over the last year was, you know, multiplied by 10, but it just, with the many demands here, it's tough. But I will say one of the greatest gifts I have as a priest is getting to know so many people And, and especially to kids in the school. I mean, we have, I think our enrollment's at 186, and to get to see them, I try to be at dismissal every day. I try to be at the morning assembly every day. I get to see them at school mass every week. I try to kind of make the rounds in the classrooms a little bit. I love getting to know them, and I get to see them all the time, and it's its an awesome gift that I have as a priest. And so, do I try to get to know all the parishioners? Yes, that is the goal. Will I know everybody as well as everybody else, I mean, the reality is, no, probably not, um, just because it's a big place and the confines of time and space are real. Um, but know that it's not for a lack of willingness, and, and if if you'd like to have more relationship, just ask. Hey, stand in line after mass and come up and say hello, and maybe set up an appointment sometime. Yeah.
1: And I mean, 1,200 people, 1,200 families. Yeah. That is a lot of people for one, one man to get to know. It's true. Um, And I think it was Aristotle that said you can have as many friends as people that you can spend time with. And unfortunately, we haven't found a way to multiply the hours in the day yet. So yeah. with only like 24 hours in the day, half of those spent sleeping rounds it, it's, there's it's just not, yeah, It's just not a lot of time for one man. I
0: wish it was half of those spent sleeping. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like 6 to 7, but that's okay. We'll work on that <laughs>
1: Um, The last question on this topic relates to kind of what you said, Um, and the question states, with
0: a parish and school the size of Sacred Heart, why do we not have a second priest? Oh, sure. Well, you know, we're part of the Diocese of Charlotte, and um, there's a limited pool of priests in the midst of that diocese. And frankly, um, it's, it's good and bad. We're not one of the biggest parishes. We're not one of the smallest parishes. We're kind of in that middle, um, middle area where we're kind of like the first one to lose our second priest if there are other places. And and frankly, this year we didn't ordain anybody. And so, uh, my good friend, Father Rossi, who was with us for three years, uh, I think he was ready to be a pastor and we didn't have any new guys being ordained. And there were some other retirements and things, and it just happened that way that, um, our second priest went, to another parish to be a pastor and um you know i i was sad to see him go um i'm a couple things that have made it uh and i'm sorry to go right to the personal thing but like what's made it you know good for me a we have a fantastic staff as i've said before um, a great parish council great finance council and our school is being wonderfully run um Tyler Culp is an excellent principal. We have Aaron Brinkley, who is our new intervention specialist and dean of students, kind of like a vice principal sort of a role. Camille Denhard on in charge of the finances, and admissions. Wonderful teachers, uh, wonderful families that are involved. I mean, is it a lot of work? Yes. I had a very busy Saturday this past Saturday. I got five out of the seven sacraments in, and one of them wasn't anointing of the sick, which is crazy. Um, and was I tired at the end of the day? You bet. But I loved it. It was awesome. You know, I mean, I'm getting to do the priestly things and the things that don't necessarily have to have a priest. I have wonderful people that I'm able to rely on. Um, Will we get another priest someday? Yeah, I hope so. And, um, but I will say this though too, keep in mind some of the other parts of the country. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. um, And I know in different parts of Illinois as farming communities have changed and populations have shifted, I I know guys up there that one priest has two, three, four parishes that he's covering by himself. I, and, and granted they're smaller typically than Sacred Heart is, but I'm blessed and I'm one priest for one parish. I don't have to travel all over North Carolina to celebrate the sacraments. I'm able to be here and be with the people of God right here at Sacred Heart. And that is an awesome gift. And so, yeah, could I be upset that, um, now we're just down to one priest. Well, sure, but at the same time, it's not that bad. I mean, it, it could be no priests and we're splitting with Moxville or something like that. I mean, we're we're blessed in that, you know, I'm one full-time priest right here at Sacred Heart and this is exactly where I want to be. Yeah, definitely. And um, hopefully, God willing, when
1: we have more priests in the diocese, more priests can have, more parishes can have two priests. Exactly. Make sure to pray for vocations, make sure to pray for our seminarians. Um, in our Church, we just got the new seminarian poster, so make sure to check that out and pray for those guys always and that they can answer God's call to their, to their vocation if it God's call is to the priesthood.
0: Absolutely. We do have quite a few seminarians. I didn't count them all there. I we have four from here at Sacred Heart, but it was, it was an anomaly that this was a zero year. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that hasn't happened in the Diocese of Charlotte since the 80s. Um, so, I mean, that's a great thing for us. That's a weird thing. And I think we're due to to ordain, God willing, three this coming summer. Will we get one of them? I don't know. We'll see. Um, Like I said, it depends on who's retiring, um, what's going on with other assignments. And it just, we're part of a bigger system. And so it just kind of depends on a whole lot of things. We may get somebody else. We might not. Um, But in the interim, i say, yeah, keep praying that, that, You know, men are open to the call, to the priesthood who are being called. And, um, yeah, just got to keep praying for and supporting vocations. Wonderful. Thanks, Father, for those answers. Absolutely.
1: All right. So we're going to shift gears again. Now we're going to focus on the Mass. Um, We've got um, five questions that specifically relate to the Mass. So we'll work through these questions as well. Um, So the first question states, Can you give me information about how the current format of the Mass began, especially the preface And the Eucharistic
0: prayers. Okay. Um, I will say, just right out of the gate, I am not a liturgical expert. Um, I highly recommend a couple of things. We've got a few people in our diocese that know a lot about the liturgy. Uh, Father Matthew Bittner, who is the uh, spiritual director at St. Joseph Minor Seminary, our new seminary in the diocese, wrote a book on understanding the Mass a few years back. Which I
1: do have a copy here. We can loan out, or if somebody would like to steal it from me, they're welcome to as well.
0: First come, first serve. Absolutely. And one of our former uh, parochial vicars here, Father Noah Carter, recently received his licentiate. So in the, the Roman degree system, STB is the like the master's degree. STL is the almost the doctor without the dissertation, and the STD is the biggest one. So Father Carter, I believe, has an STL in liturgy and so knows a lot about the rich history of all this. Just a very brief answer that I can give you is at least in its its current form. I mean since um Sacrosanctum Concilium, the the document on the liturgy at the Second Vatican Council, I mean out of that came, you know, what's often referred to as the Novus Ordo, the new rite of the mass. Um, which I believe that missile was first set in 1967. Again, I'm not a liturgical expert. I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it was 1967. And then, um, as you may remember, we had a new translation of the Roman Missal. That, I do know, came out in 2011 because I had been a priest for just over a year, and then it changed. Um, But I will say the the language of as you say the preface and the Eucharistic prayers they're a lot more faithful to the Latin the main translation of the Missal that, that came out um, and I believe it's the Missal of Pope Paul sixth is what it's normally called um, but it's a lot more faithful to that Latin and um, personally I, I really like the current 2011 translation of the Mass I think it's beautiful Um, the, the forms of the Eucharistic prayers, I really can't give you the history on them. I know, and we're very much, you know, rooted in the long tradition of the church. Um, but, uh, in its current form basically came after the second Vatican council.
1: Wonderful. So yes, if anyone would like to learn more on those topics, um, please let us know. We can point you to these books, as Father mentioned, um, I think you can purchase most of them on Amazon, the one by by Father Binner, I believe so.
0: And if not, you know, the nice thing is we do have another Q&A event coming up. I can try to look up a little bit more as well um, on the liturgy. Like I said, luckily, this is the nice thing. We've got certain specialists, if you will, in our diocese who can answer questions better than I can.
1: Perfect. So you mentioned the Novus Ordo a couple times in the answer to that question, in the this question also has to do with the Novus Ordo. Um, are there any problems with the Novus Ordo Mass? If so, what can we do to fix them?
0: Um, I, it's up to just flat out say problems, especially with the ordinary way, and you know, an ordinary in the best sense of the term, that we celebrate the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Um. I mean, can there be problems in the way that it's celebrated in particular places by certain priests? Sure, but you know that comes from human failing. And regardless of the rites, I'm sure you can have that anywhere. Um, I think following what the uh, what the missile tells you to do. There's a saying: If we had a missile in front of us, maybe we'll do this for the Q and A. Um, if you open up a missile, uh, the book that I use to celebrate mass out of there are little red writings and then big black writings and the saying is say the black do the red because the red is basically the instruction on for example you'll notice like when i say you know let us pray and then i pray what's called the collect that opening prayer i put my hands like this in the Orans position offering up that prayer to god and it tells me when to close my hands it literally tells us what to do and when and if You know, frankly, I need to be obedient and do what it says, to do the red and to say the black, not to make stuff up, because it's not my mass. And if, as the priest, I'm I'm obedient to what's there before me, um, I strive to pray that mass with all I've got. Now, I will be honest, I wish I didn't have to say this, but there are times where it's it's harder and i can be a little more distracted you know i mean if let's say it's a 7 a.m mass and i know i've got a big meeting i'm going into and there's going to be this thing about the debt later on and you know just like anybody i get nervous about the debt um and all this kind of stuff that i know is coming up i really have to be intentional about praying and asking you know, lord please help me to focus free me from all distractions help me to be right there But I think, you know, if I do what the church has told me to do and I pray that missal, that's how, you know, God works through the church and gives us himself in the Blessed Sacrament. So I think it would be really um, inappropriate at best to say that there are problems with this. Now, can it be celebrated in a bad way? Of course it can. But I think that comes from not obeying both the letter and the spirit of the law that's right there. Um, You know, there's different conversations, for example, about you know receiving standing in the hand versus kneeling on the tongue. We have a communion rail here. I want it to be available for people to be able to kneel and to receive on the tongue. Um, But it is also allowed for them to receive standing in the hand. I mean, it's it's something that the church has allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's sort of a, you know, I'm not going to just like, you know, come out and say they can't because the church has not said that. I don't have the authority to stop that do people need to receive reverently you bet and if they walk up and they look as though they've never been to church before and they don't know what they're doing i'm not just gonna like you know thrust the host into their hand um you know we have to be sensitive and pay attention and and realize who it is that we're receiving um but i think that you know just just to try to incorporate and then facilitate reverence is absolutely Mm -hmm. crucial um and to help people to to know our lord um and i think we've got a really good um good way of going about that here at sacred heart i think we have very reverent masses Mm -hmm. but then the other thing i love is it's like our church after mass continues to be relatively quiet and people have a place to pray but then it's like followed up by the joy of like i said before like a family reunion people are out on the front steps of the church talking for a long time after the Mass. Sometimes even
1: sometimes even into the next and Mass. Into the next
0: Mass. And so it's, and I appreciate it, because the two do go together. I mean, you know, we come, and we receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, and we are part of the body of Christ, and, you know, for people to come together. And that's the thing. It's not just about knowing me, you know, as a, the priests of Sacred are trying to know all their parishioners. What about the other parishioners, too? I mean, we're all part of this parish rooted in that love of christ in the eucharist and so my goal is to do that you know with all i've got with my whole heart and the way that the church has given to me to do it and to follow those rubrics and you know and to to love what i'm doing and so and a big part of that i would say it comes out of prayer mm-hmm. i mean to be praying every single day is so crucial archbishop fulton j sheen whose cause for canonization is open was very insistent and strong about priests making a daily holy hour. And I will say, after eight years plus of priesthood, he was absolutely right. Because, man, when I'm not doing that, that's when the wheels fall off. So Definitely.
1: And if you've never been to a liturgy or a mass here, at sacred heart for our viewers at home, um, definitely come and absolutely. participate in a liturgy with us during the week or on Sunday. They're all beautiful. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so come and worship with us, because that's always a wonderful thing to do. Absolutely. So again, keeping um, on the theme of the Mass, um, this question has to do with specific wording in a certain part. Um, the question asks, why do we use the word dare before the Lord's Prayer as we say, as we dare to say? Oh, so wow. that's the part we say at the Mass. So why are we using that word dare at that part of the Mass? Sure.
0: Well, because we're, we're calling God. The first person of the most holy Trinity, you know, he who always was, you know, the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, all of that. I mean, the ultimate, I don't know, I, I don't want to use like too much philosophical reasoning or uh, language because I'm afraid I'll say something incorrect slightly. But ultimately, God Himself. And what are we doing? We're calling Him Father. And, you know, Jesus taught us to do that, but to dare to do that is. It's an amazing thing. And so I think it's sort of like this balance of, you know, the incarnation. Christ makes himself present to us. He empties himself. There's a word in Greek for that, kenosis, this like self-emptying of Christ. You know, he comes and he reveals to us the Father. God the Father loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten Son. Um, and, you know, and, and that we are adopted sons and daughters of God is a mind-blowing amazing gift from him and we've been taught to call him father but still it's like to dare to say because to never fall into the trap of being casual about that you know um because it's amazing thing that that god is so present to us like that and so we dare to say our father now he is absolutely close to us um and that's amazing but still you never want to just take that from just like we you know love and appreciate our parents you know you don't want to fall into that trap of just like completely blowing them off and taking them for granted you want to have like that healthy respect and is it like the, the virtue of the fear of the lord you know mm-hmm. like an appropriate fear not that you're like afraid and cowering under the pew but at the same time recognizing it's like this is the same god who said to Moses from the burning bush take your shoes off you're in a holy place you know we have to recognize that we're not just, you know, okay, now it's time to say the Our Father, you know. No, I mean, this is this is powerful stuff. We've just participated in, you know, the, um, the reen- reenactment. What's, what's the right word? I'm looking for the enemies of the, the memory that... The, the Paschal Mystery. I mean, Jesus Christ is right there with us, making it re-present, re-present exactly. This not a representation; yeah. Yeah. it's re-presentation. a re-presentation, exactly. To be right there with Him who gives us Himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing, and we are daring to call God our Father, um, the same Father that Christ called out to from the cross. You know, the the one who loves us and is with us. But we should never just take for granted, like, oh, you know, God doesn't mind if I don't come to Matt. No, he does, and he tells us these things, and he loves us. And it's because he loves us, he keeps calling us to something greater, and he wants us to be with him, and he doesn't want this to be merely casual. Um, it's a big thing. I mean, this is this is huge. Like I said, does this mean we should be cowering under the pew? No, and notice that the church doesn't tell us, okay, at this point, cower under the pew. No, we stand up at that point and pray the our father and that's that's powerful but there still needs to be an awful lot of respect in the midst of that it's like the the good catholic principle of both hand is he absolutely present right there with us yes but does that mean that we're just casual it doesn't matter no it doesn't it means that we need to be respectful and loving and have that appropriate fear of the lord
1: yeah and some of the words we say in the our father are quite radical i mean give us this day our daily bread. I mean, sure, a lot of people interpret that as the Eucharist, but we're also asking God to give us, you know, His will. You know, even if that is suffering, even that is martyrdom, what is that daily bread He is offering us? Um, You know, we also say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I mean, these are quite intimidating statements in a lot of ways that, as you said, we kind of just say very nonchalantly at times, but we really need to focus on these words and r- realize that this is really challenging stuff. And that's Absolutely. why we say dare to say, we are daring to ask for these things that we don't necessarily comprehend, yeah. but it's much bigger than just, Oh yeah. The Our father today. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I would say too, just to, you know, in light of that sort of tangentially with the dare to say, just remember that, you know, in the way that you approach the mass, um, you know, I, I, I don't like to just kind of get up there and like rail about what people are wearing, for example, because I don't know, they may be on vacation and they don't have any clothes, but they're here. That's great. And so it's like, you know, you don't know the full context. However, we shouldn't just sort of like walk into to the mass, you know, just like right after grocery shopping, wearing shorts and flip flops. I mean, it's like you need to prepare yourself. I will tell you one of the fasts that i personally like to do I mean, obviously we need to not eat for an hour before we receive communion but the other one that i do is i don't listen to any music with words before i go to mass because i'm sure we've all been there you listen to something and it gets stuck in your head right and you need to prepare yourself for who you're going to encounter at the mass um Once again, does he make himself present? Absolutely does. But think about who it is that's making himself present and how are you presenting yourself to him? Um, like I said, I, I don't always know the full context you do, but don't just give yourself a pass. Um, you know, just, just because I mean, it's like, no, I mean to recognize where you're going, it's an important thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the next question actually follows up with what you were talking about, Christ making himself present truly at the mass. Um, And the question states, at what point in the Mass does the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ? Is there kind of, this is the point, this is the instance where we know that something changed? Sure.
0: Um, Essentially, the Eucharistic prayer as a whole um, all goes together. Um, I was taught a long time ago, and I believe this is the accurate truth, This is once the offertory has happened, you know, I offer up the bread and the wine, um, that I need to finish the Mass, like, regardless, like, you just keep going. There was one time when I was in high school. I went to a Catholic high school in Peoria, Illinois, and there was a bomb threat in the middle of the Mass, and the offertory had already happened, and they ushered all the students out, but the priest stayed to finish the Mass. Now, I'm guessing he probably used Eucharistic prayer, too, and went relatively quick. However, he did finish um, because the offertory had happened. And once that's happened, you have to continue on with the offering of those gifts. Um, But, you know, like the the whole of the Eucharistic prayer, you know, from the preface to the great amen is the consecration of those gifts. I remember when I was in seminary, they used to say, like, don't be looking for the magic moment, you know, like at this word, at this time. It's not like it's, but it's all of it taken together. It's not like I'm going to have a Eucharistic prayer where I only say the words of institution obviously those are crucial and you can see it in the way that the missile is laid out with their big bold print of you know take this all of you and eat of it I mean it's right there and those rewards are absolutely crucial and you can tell like with the elevation and the ringing of the bells but the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ during the Eucharistic prayer
1: definitely so yeah there's not that magic moment as Father said Um, And also, if you think about it, that's why you have to finish the Mass. Mm -hmm. Because if Father were to stop in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer, there would be a question of, wait, is is this bread? Is this the body of Christ? What's going on? So once you start, once you hit the offertory, you You have to finish. So you know, without a doubt, that is now the body of Christ and I have to take care of it as such. Exactly.
0: And that's why you notice too. I mean, our uh, posture reflects that. You notice it right after the preface, after the singing of the Sanctus, the Holy Holy. Everybody kneels down. Why? Because that bread and wine are becoming the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it's different from then on out. Um, and so, yeah, you can you can see it in the way that everybody reacts.
1: Definitely. So following up with one more prayer, uh, I mean, not one more prayer, one more question um, about the Mass and prayer. Um, the... Uh, person that asked this question stated, other than mass, adoration, and prayer, how can we as individuals build a personal relationship with Christ? So, mass, adoration, and prayer. Beyond those three Beyond those things, three. how do we build a relationship with Christ?
0: I think a few weeks ago, um, I quoted, uh, I think it was when we were going to have our mission appeal, one of the paragraphs in the catechism, it's like, I want to say 1937, but I don't know if that's accurate, so don't hold me to it. But it said something about, you know, from the Eucharist, we naturally go out to the poor. Um, and, you know, think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25. You know, and then I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least of my brethren, you did for me. And you know, Mother Teresa talks about, you know, encountering Christ and the poor. Um, you know, the, the, whatever you did for one of the, the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Loving and serving the poor. I mean, that is a huge way of um, encountering and knowing and loving Christ. Uh, I think it was John Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom who said, you know, how can you love the God you can't see if you can't love the brother that you can see? And so, you know, our interactions with our loving of one another, are following of the second part of the greatest commandment, you know, love God with your whole mind, heart, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself in that loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the other as other, um, or willing the good of the other as other, we we encounter Christ. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's that, you know, um, participating in the, the communion of persons. I mean, it's, we're not all alone. And so I would say, you know, obviously that's completely tied up in the mass, in prayer, in adoration. But it doesn't, you know, it, there is a social element to that too. We are social beings and God knows that and He's created us in that way. and we've got to go out there and live our vocations. And so in doing so and putting our faith into action, um, we do help develop our relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's how it, that's the what I would add to those other three.
1: Yeah, recognizing that every human being was made in the image of likeness of God and treating them as such. So exactly. when we, as you said, love the other person, we're loving God by loving that other person. Exactly.
0: And obviously, it means you keep involved mass prayer adoration um, because you can't just say, well, my work is my prayer. You can't do that either. I mean, it's, it's a totally a both and. I mean, you have to have both. And you have to strive to hold them together, which is a really good thing to talk about on the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul, mm-hmm. you know, and just in, in going out there and, and loving Christ in the poor. Uh, like I said, Matthew 25, the whole separation of the sheep and the goats. You know, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food? Um, you know, whatever you did for Lisa, least my brethren, you did for me. I heard a Dominican sister once say that that's the study guide for the final test. So study well, and I hope you're going to pass.
1: Yeah, and at the very end of the Mass, right, going back to kind of the parts of the Mass, when Father says, go in peace, love, and serve the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. You know, when we were little, at least I did, I'm like, woo, thanks be to God, Mass is over, I get out of this place. But really, we're saying, thanks be to God that we get to go out Mm -hmm. and share that light of Christ, that we get to go and share that with other people and see Christ in other people and love them. So it's a thanks be to God we get to take these gifts and bring them out.
0: Absolutely. I think the new translation is go go forth glorifying the Lord by your lives. Oh, man. It's been how many it's years okay. Now, you said and I'm Cause, still cause on the old translation. I never use it. There's options, and I pretty much always use the same options. I just say go in peace. Oh,
1: well, there you go. You heard it from the priest's mouth. <laughs> and it's the
0: deacon who says
1: it. <laughs> um, so now we're switching gears again. Okay. So now we're going to focus on some apologetics questions. So real quick. When we talk about apologetics, we're not apologizing for anything. We're not saying sorry about the truth of the church or what we believe. When we say apologetics, we're using the Greek term apologia, correct? Which means apologia apologia, to defend. So the most popular apologia is Plato's apology, like his defense of his work when he essentially gets sentenced to death. For corrupting the, the youth. Socrates. Socrates. Socrates, excuse me. So Socrates' apologia. He wasn't apologizing for what he did. He was defending his life's work, um, ultimately to his own detriment. But um, so what we're doing here is we're not saying sorry for anything about the church. We're defending the truths of the yeah. church, essentially. And I
0: think that was also the name of uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman's great autobiography, which is Apologia. I think.
1: Oh, so interesting. I did not know that. Thank there you me, have it, No problem. So the first question that relates to apologetics is, is there salvation outside the church if you aren't ignorant? So double negative there. So if you are actually informed or have knowledge of the Catholic faith. So let me read that one more time to make sure we get that right. Is there salvation outside of the church if you are informed and knowledgeable about the Catholic faith? So let's say you know the Catholic faith, so you're not the native... Back, you know, jungle woods people that have never heard the gospel or the Catholic Christian message. These people do know the Catholic Christian message, but essentially have rejected rejected it. Is there salvation for them?
0: Well, <laughs> I would say um, we know that you know through Jesus Christ. Go to heaven, right? We know that you know. He said it's it's through him that that we move on towards heaven. If you reject that, even after knowing that, knowing him, knowing that he's given us the church and all that, you put yourself in a pretty difficult position. Um, and that is like the lightest possible way of saying that a pretty difficult. Yeah, that's that's great, Father. Really, really strong. I mean, no, I mean, it's you know, he even said, um, and I'm. Paraphrasing, and I forget in which gospel. But about you know, if you deny the Son of Man, or he he can't deny you, or he won't he won't deny himself. But it's like you you can't he he won't force himself on us. Um, we do have free will. Uh, is there a potential door open towards the end of coming back? And all? yeah, I mean. <laughs> I hope people, when they come to their end, who seem to have rejected him all along the way, change their mind and come in, and we're not in the business of declaring people to be anti-saints and being in hell. I'm not saying hell's empty. I I certainly hope that it is. You know, I hope that people. But at the same time, I mean, we've seen a lot of horrible stuff, especially in the 20th century. Um, I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn who said, you know, kind of taking apart something that Karl Marx said. Because Karl Marx said, you know, religion, it's the opiate of the masses. And Solzhenitsyn said no. He said atheism is the opiate of the masses. To think that you can go through this life just doing whatever you want and that there are no consequences, that's the opiate of the masses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so is there salvation outside of what we have? I'll say this. I know that Jesus Christ wants us to be saved, wants us to love him, wants us to be with him forever. He has given us the ordinary means of salvation. He's given us the sacraments. They're right there in front of us. And we should do everything we can, A, to stay faithful to that ourselves, to continue to receive the sacraments well, to stay close to him in prayer, adoration, mass, and service to the poor. Um, But at the same time, For those who have rejected and left, you know, I'm not comfortable making like the definitive, they're going to hell. Because I don't see anywhere that says I can do that because I don't know all of the circumstances of their life. I don't know how firm that rejection is. I will say this, don't reject it. Don't just go away. I, you know, would never in a million years ever say do that. But Christ knows, like man sees the appearance, Christ looks through to the heart. We're not in the business of saying, you know, who is condemned and who's not. Am I saying no one is condemned? No, I, I don't know. I'm not in charge of that. What I know we need to do is to present the faith well in its fullness, in its entirety, with zeal, with love, knowing that people need this. And if you find out that someone has rejected it, find out why. And, you know, and here's the thing too, it's like, it's not just the priests that can get through to them. I mean, there's some people, and as we said before, alluding to the summer of shame, who, because of various reasons, want to stay far away from priests, right? And so, fine, then laity, get out there and share with them the ordinary means of salvation. Help them to know Jesus Christ. And the other thing is too, it's like, help them to begin to participate in that salvation right now um you know we can start to start to experience heaven or hell in this life and riches or poverty are not um uh signposts of which one you're experiencing frankly because we've all met miserable rich people and we've all met joyful poor people and vice versa i mean so we have to make sure that we're striving to hold to what we have to know that that is the way, the truth and life of Jesus Christ, to get to him, um, to know that he'll do anything he can to go after the lost sheep. We should try to do the same thing, knowing that it's the way to eternal salvation and also knowing that he knows the entire big picture and all of the context.
1: Yeah, and just because Christ gave us the ordinary means of salvation doesn't mean through Christ's infinite mercy and love he can't transcend those. Yeah. So ultimately... If I'm correct, the answer is we don't 100% know. Yeah. We pray. We, we pray. pray for people's salvation, and we pray that hell is empty, as Father said. But in reality, hell probably is not empty. There's probably people there. and we, But we want to bring, even if it's kicking and screaming, as many people to heaven with us as possible.
0: Well, I don't... And this is the thing. I don't know if you can go to heaven kicking and screaming. Like, that'd be an interesting... That'd be another interesting... Another
1: interesting question. Somebody write that down for the next one in November.
0: Because the thing is, it's like you're not forced to go there. Um, He won't do it. He he respects our free will. He loves us. Um, And so, like I said, we know what the ordinary means is. We know that the sacraments don't tie God's hands. He can act outside. For example, someone dies... Repentant, but not able to go to confession. It's not like God's like, "Well, sorry, you didn't get to confession. Enough of you." You know, no, it's not that simplistic and all that. But you know, so God can act outside of the sacraments. But why would you want to go to the extraordinary? You know, when we have the ordinary right in front of us all the time. So, yeah. very good point. And I will drag people to heaven kicking and screaming. Um, we'll have a debate about that.
1: <laughs> Next question that we have: um, As Catholics, how should we understand and look at capital punishment?
0: Um. Okay, we know that uh, punishment is an important thing. Okay, so if you know if you're raising your children. You know, to just sort of look the other way and not care if they're, like, breaking the rules and doing terrible things, that's not being a good parent. I mean, just wanting to be their buddy and it's like, oh, you know, Andrew likes to break windows. It's what Andrew does.
1: No! Andrew is my son for okay. all those who are viewing.
0: That would not be good for Andrew if you just, like, let him just be a spoiled brat all the time and break everything. Because eventually he will get corrected. It'll just be by people who love him less than you. That's totally stealing from Dr. Ray Gerundi, by the way. Um but, you know, it's just, so, like, punishment does need to be there. Um, we do need help to be the people we're called to be. The tough thing with, with capital punishment, and I'm, I'm no expert on, on capital punishment, um, I would say, you know, we, we want people to reform. Um, and ultimately, the whole purpose of reformation, of changing, of becoming better, is not just for this life. It's so that they'll become saints, that whatever the terrible thing is that they're doing in this life, that they need to have whatever it is to change and reform and change course because it just gets worse with time. And so to have that kind of a deterrent um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, in this day and age, you know, especially in places like the United States where, you know, we have the ability to, and I'm kind of switching gears, I'm no expert on capital punishment, so this probably isn't one of the, this is going to be one of the better answers. We may edit. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but you know, because I, I'll say this too. You know, I uh, I've had the distinct honor of doing a lot of prison ministry. Okay, and you know, and and you know, the, all sorts of different criminals. And I will say, it's one of my favorite types of ministry to do. Those guys that I get to work with, and now I'm sure they're not all like this. I didn't work with everybody at the prison but you know so it's like they're the least entitled people you'd ever want to meet they knew they know they've done wrong things they're repentant they're trying they're doing their best and I appreciate getting to be a part of that they take confession seriously they take the sacraments seriously they know they need help um, and it's beautiful and I appreciate it and I'm grateful that you know none of them are like on their way to death row it's like they are changing are they paying their debt to society yeah they are um, I will say this so too, like I love this quote from Fulton Sheen where he gave a retreat in a prison one time. And the way he started was, you know what the difference is between you and me? You got caught. And I always loved that because, like, well, we are all sinners, right? And we all need penance. We all need repentance. We all need help. Yes, in differing ways, of course. But nevertheless, it, um, I think when it comes to the death penalty... I think there has to be you know some sort of like overarching really good reason for it that ultimately points towards that person making their way towards heaven and also involved is the safety of people around you know if you have some sort of a you know serial killer terrible person and the rest of society cannot be protected then it makes sense how many of those situations are there these days I don't know I'm no expert on crime um, or on the penal system um, and so I, it seems like those occasions are rare where the state can't protect people from those sort of folks but I'm not really in a position to say that that's the way it is all across the world
1: definitely and the other side of it is is obviously somebody is innocent till proven guilty yeah but even then our court system's not always perfect yeah So, I mean, there really has to be no doubt that this person did the actions that they are claimed to have committed. Um, So, I mean, I would point viewers to look at the catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, Off the top of my head, I do not know the paragraph number, but look in your index, the death penalty, you can find it. And I think it's fairly clear um, when you can read through some of the legalese, as some people like to say it. But... uh, Glance at that. Glance at the Catechism. Read that paragraph or two on the on uh, capital punishment, and bring that to uh, our next question and answer if you think we need to dig into this a little bit more. Sounds good. All right. Next question. Again, sticking with apologetics. Can you believe in evolution theory and still be a Christian? Yes.
0: Okay, well, there <laughs> um, you have it, straight from the now <laughs> Um. GK. Chesterton really covers this well in Orthodoxy and he says, I mean basically it's like, well okay, with evolution, it's like you can still have a God who chooses to act very slowly rather than very quickly. Um, and that that's fine. I mean everything still has to come from somewhere. I mean even evolution doesn't like succeed in saying okay and there's no creation. Still, it doesn't like get to the heart of you know where everything came from. Um, You know, and I'm I'm no scientist and no expert on any of this. I've heard that there are some issues, too, with Darwin's evolution theory. I don't know what they are. Um, You know, are there some things that seem, yeah, like, you know, evolution kind of makes sense? Sure. And can we believe it? Sure. And is it completely, like, contrary to the creation narrative? No, it's really not. (laughs) Because when you think about the genre that the book of Genesis is, especially when you're looking at the creation narrative... It's not a scientific account. And so we don't have to hold to this is seven 24-hour periods, you know, that we're calling days here. No, I mean, in another place it says that, you know, to a, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. You know, I mean, it's time is kind of a relative concept in the midst of that particular genre within the Bible. And so are the two of them contradictory? No.
1: Yeah, and we have to, um, I mean, we love what is good true and beautiful Mm -hmm. science is true most of science is true and so our catholic faith would not contradict other truth yeah i mean the very fact that the big bang theory was developed by a catholic priest shows that we have no problem with evolution now speaking on darwinism just a little bit if you don't mind father i do know one of the problems with darwinism comes down to the um our souls right our immortal souls if we started as material beings and then we evolved over time however that proceeded there had to have been some way where the immortal soul that we have came into being being, because you can't have something that's immaterial come from something material um so that's one of the problems with darwinism strictly speaking but there's no problem with evolution up to that point, and even after that point, there's no problem as long as we can figure out through our faith how we became, you know, rational human beings that can understand abstract things higher than the animals that we also have in our world. Um, and any good scientist, if they were scientists worth their weight, they would say that's not a question for science. Yeah. That's a question for religion, philosophy, theology. How that came to be, we can only science can only talk about the physical. They really can't talk about the immaterial. No. Um, so yes, I I believe in, in evolution, and I'm sure Father would. Sure. Agree I mean, with yeah. I mean,
0: just once again, faith and reason. You know, science and religion are not contradictory. And it's funny to me too. I feel like you know we kind of get hit with that sometimes. Like, oh, you know, you people and your faith, and you don't believe in science. It's like, I feel like sometimes in the wider culture, science really is only ushered in when it's convenient, especially in the areas of sexual morality. I mean, you think about transgenderism, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, scientifically speaking. Um, Same thing with abortion. I mean, my goodness, life begins at conception. You got a whole new human being right there. I mean, how quickly is the heart developed? You know, I mean, how soon is that baby feeling pain? And to pretend that that's not a new human being, that's not scientific, mm-hmm. you know? And so it just, it's kind of, it, it's odd to me the way, oh, and one other one too, contraception. I mean, natural family planning makes a lot of sense, you know? It's right there. It's very scientific. It's very healthy. Um, but all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you introduce hormones and all this and, and the pill. Why all of a sudden is science, you know, not talked about in the same way? It's like it's on, it only gets ushered out when it's convenient and put back away when it's not. And that's not a good way to go about things. And so just remember, faith and reason, they go together.
1: Yeah, I think John Paul II talks about faith and reason as two wings of the eagle, you know, soaring into the sky. they got to work together. They've got to, you know, be working at one hole to reach those heights.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I just read something, gosh, yeah, it was either an Office of Readings or something on the Catholic thing about, you know, like faith and reason helping one another, like, You know, faith allows us to go beyond, you know, just the mere scientific, but the reason keeps us, you know, of course, like in the world in which we are and keeps us, you know, grounded in the appropriate way. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. So we have
1: um, three more questions for you.
0: How much time do we have? We have, it's 510.
1: So we'll do a little bit quicker version on these questions, probably. And if you'd like us to talk more, again, bring them to us in November. Absolutely. Um, How would you explain the Trinity to someone who has never been to church? And of course, we probably ask the most complicated question (laughs) when we just say, we don't have that much time left. Of course. So go for it, Father.
0: I will say, okay, so just very briefly, how would you describe the Trinity? Um, to someone, who, someone who's never been to church. Is that, what that, that, is
1: that is what the question says. Someone who has never been to church.
0: Okay. Well, if you were to say, you know, okay, so we believe, you know, God created the universe, created us in his image and likeness. The beautiful thing is like, God doesn't need us. And also God has never been alone. God is a communion of persons, a community of persons, you know, three persons, one God. Um, and that, I think, is probably um, you know at the depth of everything because we know that you know we're social beings. We can't just merely be alone. Even a hermit living you know off by himself is still connected to us through the body of Christ and praying for other people. He's not completely isolated, and you know that comes from somewhere. It's not mere isolation because. That would be some sort of an imperfection from the beginning. God is perfect. God is three. You know, he is the lover, the beloved, and the love shared between them. For you know, one example I think is that St. Augustine. You know, and so so to have that from the beginning makes a lot more sense than just the image of just some... Just a unitary being out there of all, you know, for all time. Because then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, well, he got lonely and needed to create. No, he was fine on his own. You know, God, but that love, you know, outpoured for us. You know, and then here's this creation, all this beauty, that from the heart of the universe, because God is Trinity, at the heart of everything is love itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can come to understand God, right? Who that God exists through our natural reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we state that in our beliefs, and it talks a lot about that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. However, we can't come to a triune God through our natural reason. So while we can come up with a lot of explanations, a lot of analogies, a lot of ideas, the Trinity ultimately is a mystery, yeah. that Christ revealed to us in Scripture, but something that we won't fully understand until we are truly one with that trinity in heaven
0: absolutely and i would say that person i would invite them to church
1: exactly invite them to church invite them to read the scriptures and we'll be on the right direction there you go all right next question states do i have a moral obligation to speak up in class against a professor who is teaching blatant untruths and the other students are believing them and this person asked through uh rccc our community college here
0: um what I, was, I guess it kind of depends on what the untruths are. I think first because I'm assuming this is an ongoing thing, I would go and speak to the professor one-on-one um, unless it's so bad in the midst of the class to raise your hand and say I disagree you know and, and here's why um, but if you know if that didn't happen the first time to go and speak with the professor to say here's why I'd like to have a debate about this I mean that's essentially the point of, you know the university the point of coming together in a college classroom is to talk about these differing points and to sit to challenge them I mean that's that would be an important thing to do and I would say if it's if it's been difficult in the class to at least approach the professor on your own at first and to say I want to challenge you on this and especially and, and it's kind of hard without the details because i don't know which class i don't know if it's a professor speaking out of his or her depth you know because sometimes it's a science class like there is no soul okay like, wait a second like wait where do you have the authority or the learning and then like where is that coming from um to be able to challenge something like that because sometimes i think some people make some bold statements without anything to back themselves up so without knowing more details i would say yeah speak up um if you need to talk to the teacher first, fine. But if you need to do it in class, do it in class. Um, I know that's difficult, but uh, pray for courage.
1: Yeah, pray for courage. Do your research. You know, be bold. Mm-hmm. You know, follow the witness of the saints. Pray for the intercession of
0: the saints, and you know, the Holy Spirit will guide you in whatever Absolutely. that struggle might be. And I would say too, good advice: pray to your guardian angel every day, anyway. But also pray for the guardian angel of everybody you're encountering, your professor, people in the class to help you with the whole situation because that goes a long way too
1: so we are on our last question and we're running out of time so that is good um our last question states a number of times after healing jesus tells the healed those who have been healed to keep it secret but just about all of them go out and announce their healing to the public were they not disobeying and how is it different from adam disobeying god in
0: the garden of eden That's That's quite a lengthy question. That is a lengthy question. Um, You'll notice, like, for example, if you read John 6, when Jesus first feeds the crowd and they want to make him king, he slips out of their midst and goes away because he knows their hearts. He's not the Messiah they're expecting, right? You know, he's not there to overthrow Herod and overthrow Pilate and overthrow Caesar and take over and have a worldly kingdom. But that's what a lot of them are wanting. I mean, they want to just keep having their bellies filled. They want him to be on their terms. And, you know, and people, you know, it's like, think about us. Like, when you find out there's going to be free stuff. Hey, it's bobblehead night at the baseball game. Oh, my gosh, we've all got to get there because we got to get our bobbleheads. You know, it's like we get all excited and we show up in bigger numbers than ever. It's like we think we're going to get something out of this. That's not just what he came to do. Now, granted, yeah, does he satisfy our desires? Yes, but it's not our merely physical desires. This isn't just another worldly kingdom. He's calling us to something so much greater. And you notice that after, you know, he does some of these healings and then people go out there and announce it all over the place, he can't open he can't enter a town openly anymore. It's like he has to stay on the peripheries. It's almost as though his mission to come in is harder. Plus, you know, it's like in the, the Gospel for Today, it was about Herod trying to see him. You know, it's like who, I mean, think of it from the very beginning. I mean, Jesus was sought out to be killed as a baby. Um, he's going to be a threat to political authority. Um, and he's going through his public mission for a while before that happens. Is that disobedience the same as the disobedience of Adam? Um, I've never really thought of that before, but I guess in some ways, yeah. I mean, I guess it isn't direct obedience to what Christ said to do. Is that a problem? Yeah, they shouldn't have done it. And it looked like it made, you know, made his mission essentially that much more difficult right there. Um, but, you know, just like uh, we say on, at the Easter vigil during the Exultet, you know, oh, happy fall of Adam. It's not like Jesus can't forgive sins and i don't think most of those people are like ha ha i'm going to mess up the whole public ministry but i mean there's there's a form of excitement and you know and they just they can't help it but it's a misunderstanding of who he is because that same nameless crowd that builds up this huge excitement about christ is the same one that's there with pontius pilate yelling crucify him mm-hmm. so you know yeah, I mean, it, it's it's sad. There's there's obviously some sort of a separation. They don't get it totally. Some of them, you know, it's like he says to um, blind Bartimaeus, go your way. And what does he do? He follows Jesus on the way. That's what we need to be doing is listening to what he says and then following him, being
1: obedient. Yeah, and going back to the uh, sin of Adam real quick, really, anytime we sin, we're disobeying God and in some ways participating in that first sin of Adam. Mm-hmm. So, and what is sin? It's just, the disobedience to God's will and God's call for us in our lives. So whether it's directly disobeying Christ when he was here on earth um, or disobeying Christ and God's will for us in our own lives, that sin's a sin and
0: it really all connects together in some ways. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I guess you could, you could kind of say that. I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for day, today. And
1: that's all the questions we have for today. So that's we did good. make it through everything that what we impressive. received.
0: So, so it's a 17 questions. That's pretty good. Um, I'm excited for the actual live Q&A because it's kind of fun to go back and forth and get a little more context, but um, I hope this sets us on the right course, and i um, excited to have the, the live Q&A.
1: Yeah, so definitely keep an eye on uh, media, social media, bulletin, e-news, all the different ways we communicate here at Sacred Heart to see that date and time. Um, it will be sometime in November. We do know that, um, and so we hope you will uh, be joining us for that next one, we hope you'll Bring wonderful questions. We received great questions for this one. We were very excited, yeah. and we got a great response for this. So, we are very excited to continue to do this together and um, hope to see you all in early November. Father, would you uh, close us in a prayer?
0: I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy
1: Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Glory be to the Father, and to the, the Son, Son, and to the and to Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was in the beginning, is, is now, now, and ever shall be, be world, world without, without end. end. Amen. Amen. Most sacred art of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate art of Mary. Pray for us. Amen. at the ball. Pray for us. In the the Father, Father and the Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Father.